from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm 72, verses 1 to 7 and 10 to 14. Please turn with me to page 504 of the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May the kings of Tarshish and the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. second text on this Epiphany Sunday is a lectionary text from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Later on, in, to close worship, we'll be singing the great hymn of the church, We Three Kings. And legend has rolled and has described this scene as having three magi coming. But, but the writer Matthew does not say how many magi there actually were coming to visit the Christ child. And perhaps you'd like to think of it as three, but, but maybe uh, expand your imagination a little bit. Maybe it was 30. Maybe it was 300. Many trying to get in to see this Christ child, this one who has been revealed as the salvation of the world. Here again afresh, this old, old story. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is the shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, since moving to Atlanta, I have learned that there are some things that you just shouldn't rush. There's some things you just shouldn't rush, like smoking barbecue on the big green egg. You shouldn't rush that. Or driving in Atlanta immediately after a fresh and rare snowfall. You shouldn't rush that. Or eating a cracker with homemade pimento cheese. You just shouldn't rush that. Or playing a round of golf at one of Bobby Jones's famed courses. You just shouldn't rush that. Or the week leading up to the national championship game when your team is playing. You should enjoy every moment because you don't know when it's going to happen again. Or sipping an ice cold sweet tea on a hot July day while listening to an octogenarian tell you story after story after story about her beloved church, you just shouldn't rush that. There are things in life that you just shouldn't rush. And part of the message of Advent is to slow down, is to wait, is is not to rush. We hear it throughout those four weeks of Advent. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, expect. Yes, be prepared. Yes, keep watch. But above all else, wait. Wait. And wait some more. For the Lord is coming. The great spiritual writer Andre Nouwen once said, a waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where you are and live the situation out to the full. In the belief, he goes on, that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. That we wait right where we are so that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. And that's what Advent is all about. Throughout this season of Advent, we have stayed where we are. We've occupied these pews. We have kept watch. We have waited. We have stayed where we are. And at the conclusion of this season with the coming of Christmas Day, something has, in fact, been made known to us. There has been an epiphany. A son is given to us. A child is born for us. There is a big reveal. It's a showing of monumental proportions. God plans to redeem the world, Jew and Gentile alike. 
in a child born in Bethlehem, through a child born in Bethlehem, one called Jesus, one who bears the title the Christ. The whole season of Advent was waiting for this epiphany, was waiting for this big reveal. And we have waited, and it is now known to us. And the story begins to shift ever so slightly, even on Christmas Eve, even on Christmas Day. It begins to move away from waiting to direct action, to a speedy type of movement toward something. For example, in Luke's gospel, we heard these words on Christmas Eve. We heard them again on Christmas Day. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. They went with haste. We just sang about it in our opening hymn. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. We move from waiting in the story to direct action. We've got to go somewhere. The characters need to move. The shepherds go now. They go with haste. They did not take their time. They did not say to one another, perhaps we should wait till tomorrow or the next day or the day after that to see this thing that has occurred. They do not say to the angel, might you give us a few moments, a few days, we have some more things to take care of. No, they say to one another, let us go now. And Luke says they go with haste. The same is true as the story turns from waiting to movement. It's true for the characters we meet in Matthew 2. The Magi are certainly not waiting. They are on the move. They're responding to the signs of the time. They respond to a star shining in the sky, heralding the birth of a king born like no other king in history. They go to see this king. They go to see this child. They move toward him. The big idea of Epiphany Sunday is that God's plan of salvation has been revealed to all people in Christ and that we mustn't tarry. We mustn't delay to see this thing God has done. We move toward him. The days of waiting are over. Now we make haste. With speed we see him. We follow his star. The Magi, these Gentiles, respond to this big reveal. So the news comes to them, and in preparation for their journey under the light of the star, they open up their treasure chests. In fact, they, they bring their treasure chests with them. Not only are they bringing food and water and clothes and, and what's necessary to make this journey, but they also bring their pocketbooks. They bring their wallets. They bring what is most valuable to them. And in those treasure chests, we hear that there's frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and they head on their way. And there is a subtle but yet very important point of this story that I want us to focus on this morning. That the journey these magi make, they do not walk it empty-handed. They do not make this journey empty-handed. These gifts that they bring, symbolically and spiritually speaking, enhance and support the mission of this child. These gifts are in service to what he intends to do. 
The frankincense points to his role as the great high priest who will be our relational connection to God. We have a great high priest in this child who gives us access to the creator of the universe. The gold points to his role as a new kind of king who leads with sacrificial love, not the sword, who leads with justice and mercy and grace. And the myrrh, an element often used in burial practices, it, it points to the role that he is willing to take on, a role he's willing to die for, to put to death our sins so that we may receive forgiveness and we may share in the glory of his resurrection. What good news, church, we have to celebrate this day. The Magi do not come empty-handed. They do not come empty-handed. They bring gifts that enhance and support God's mission in Jesus Christ. And I'd like to suggest this morning that for each and every one of us on this Christian journey, that we should walk it with our hands full. In other words, the Christian journey is not one we take empty-handed. We actually carry something on the way. We have gifts to offer on the way that enhance and support the mission of this child. We all have a treasure chest, so to speak. We, we have something to offer. But it's here at this point in the sermon, I think there can be a little bit of dissonance because for some of us from time to time, from season to season, maybe you're in a time, maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like you're walking your faith journey empty-handed. Like you're walking this road to the Christ child with nothing to carry. And we walk empty-handed from time to time on this journey for multiple reasons. For some... For some of us this morning, we're walking that journey of faith empty-handed because we have become convinced that our treasure chest is full of junk, that we don't actually have anything to offer to God, anything to carry that is of value. When I was a boy, I believe the only redeeming element of a trip to the dentist's office was the opportunity to select something from the prize box or the prize drawer when my appointment was finished. Do you know what I'm talking about? That drawer or that box where there was bouncy balls and tattoos and plastic spider rings and slinkies. You know, you have the fluoride on your teeth. It would start going down the back of your throat into your stomach. You start getting an upset stomach, but then you see the treasure box and all is right with the world. And you get to select something, and for a brief moment, you think it is the best thing you've ever held in your hands, that plastic green spider ring. It's amazing. And about three minutes pass, and then it breaks. Or it gets lost under the, the back bench of your parents' car. And in some ways, I think there are folks walking the Christian journey who think their lives are like that treasure box. I mean, with all due respect to the dentists in the sanctuary today, those boxes are filled with junk. And some of us look at our life and we, we feel that way. We may put up a front, we may say we got things together, we may look the part, but deep down inside, we wonder deep down, what do I have to offer? Because what I feel like I have to offer is just... Junk. We may have become convinced that what we have isn't of much value to God's kingdom or to this Christ child. 
There are others who walk the journey of faith empty-handed because we are confused as to what God is actually asking us to carry. We think we have to carry something else. A couple of weeks ago, and some of you may have, have seen this, there was a Washington Post article co-written by Kathy Davidson. It highlighted uh, some significant research Google uh, had done within their company in trying to figure out what qualities do their top employees possess? What qualities do their top employees possess? And so they took hiring and firing and promotion data over the course of many years and they began to parse out some of the qualities of these long-standing, high-achieving employees at Google. Now, the article notes that conventional wisdom about 21st century skills that students need to master really revolve around the STEM subjects. You've heard this, right? The STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and math. You have to learn to code because that's where all the jobs are. All the jobs are in STEM. And you think at a place like Google, you think STEM would be at the very top. A place like Google, that's probably the number one attribute that an employee should have, a mastery of skill in this particular area. But the author notes something counterintuitive as it relates to Google's research. She writes this, among the eight most important qualities of Google's top employees, STEM expertise comes in dead last. Comes in dead last. The seven top characteristics of success at Google are all soft skills being a good coach, communicating and listening well, possessing insights into others, including different values and points of view, having empathy toward and being supportive of one's colleagues, being a good critical thinker and problem solver, and being able to make connections across complex ideas. You say, what makes a good Google employee? Conventional wisdom would say a mastery in STEM subjects and STEM expertise, but the data bears something different out. It bears something else. And in a like manner, I think, for some of us, we think of the ideal Christian. We get asked, okay, what does the ideal Christian look like? And for some of us, we go right away to perfection. We go right away to perfect piety, perfect behavior, perfect church attendance, perfect beliefs, sound doctrine, a perfect life where everything is in order and in its place. For some of us, that's how we think about Christianity. We, that's what we think needs to be carried, the perfect. But that's not up there. It doesn't even make the top 100. For what God is looking for, what God is asking us to carry is something totally different, perhaps even something unexpected, something even unconventional. Finally, there are those who walk the journey of faith empty-handed because we are intentionally holding our gifts in exile. This is a tough one. These are folks, we recognize that we have gifts, we have time, we have talent, we have money to share, we have insight, we have creativity. We can lend that to God's kingdom, but for one reason or another, we don't do it. For some reason, maybe it's bitterness or it's fear or it's greed or maybe it's just a hard heart. We choose not to give the gifts God has put us in charge of. We, we choose to hold those gifts in exile far from where they are needed the most. 
Yes, there are Christians who walk the journey of faith empty-handed. Some think their treasure chests are full of junk. Some have become confused as to what God actually asks us to carry. And some, frankly, hold their gifts in exile out of fear or pain or maybe just simple stinginess. But, but here is, here's the thing. The Christian life is not an empty-handed life. The Christian life is not an empty-handed life. In the words of 1 Peter 4.10, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve with whatever gift each of you has received. And in a church like ours, we celebrate in a routine way the diversity of gifts that God has put us in charge of. But there is one gift in which we all share. There's a gift that's universal to each and every one of us in this room, whether you've occupied these pews for your whole life or whether this is your first Sunday with us. There's one thing in common that we all share that is a gift from God, and it is our very lives. It's our very lives. We're alive because God has called us into being. There is no greater gift than your life. And your life is not junk. Your life is not garbage. Your life shouldn't be measured in perfection, in perfect piety or perfect doctrine or perfect church attendance or having the perfect veneer that everyone can see. And life is not meant to be hoarded or selfishly guarded out of fear or pain. You see, the Magi on that day 2,000 years ago brought more than frankincense, gold, and myrrh. They brought so much more than that. They brought themselves. They showed up. And what they had in their hands was, was more than the gold and frankincense and myrrh. In essence, they had themselves in their own hands. And they were giving themselves over in homage and in worship and in service to this Christ child. Friends, every one of us has this gift. We all do. We have the gift of our life. And, and so on this Epiphany Sunday, when the big reveal comes to us that this Christ child is the salvation of the world, that's revealed to us, maybe there is another big reveal that needs to take place. Maybe there's another epiphany that needs to take place right now. And maybe it's a revealing of our very lives to God in a new and fresh way as we begin this year. Maybe it's putting our lives, all of our lives, not just one aspect, but every inch of our lives into our hands so that we can hand it over to God and God's mission. Our professions, our wealth, our family, our occupations, our faith, our doubt, our, our words, our imagination, our creativity, our accomplishments, all of this treasured life to not come empty-handed, but to bring that life in service to God. Our lives are not junk. We should no longer be confused as to what God is asking us to carry. And we should no longer keep our lives and all the gifts that we have in exile. Now is the time to make haste. Now is the time to see this thing that God has done. And now is the time to reveal ourselves and our life in God's service. May it be so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people say, Amen. Friends, if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand now as we make an affirmation of Christian faith 
using the words of the Apostles' Creed. They're printed in your order of worship. Church, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, the Christian life was not meant to be walked empty-handed. We bring our very selves in service to the Christ child. As we begin this 2018, may God, by God's grace and the leading of the Spirit, give you insight on ways in which you can be that gift 
ways in which you can serve this church, serve this city, serve our state, serve the world. Someone, serve someone who sits beside you or is someone who you have a locker next to. Be in service as we bring our lives to God. May God use our lives to enhance the mission of this Christ child. And may his peace, a peace which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. May his peace live inside of you this day and all the days ahead. Amen? And go in peace.